But Father, we thank you for the blood of Christ. It is by that blood, Father, that we are, we have the opportunity to respond to the gospel. It's because of Christ and that sacrifice that was made, Father, so that we may have life and may have it abundantly. And Father, may we not waste, um, God, what you've given us. May we not waste our lives. May we not waste our our finances, our resources, God, may we not waste the things that you have given us, our, even our time, Father. Um, may we be faithful to give unto you and to, to live for you because of that blood. And God, I ask this morning that you be with us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 2 this morning, Acts chapter 2. This morning we're going to be looking um, at a passage of scripture this morning um, that actually this week has really challenged me in, in many ways. Um, it's a passage that's been very familiar to me, uh, but not only because I've read through Acts a number of times as we've gone through this series, but um, just because it's a very familiar passage uh, for the last 25 years as, as I've been a believer, as I've studied God's Word. Um, it, it's, been, it's been one, though, this week that has really challenged my heart for a number of reasons. Because this morning, I want us to look at verse 40 or 37 through 41 and and i'm titled this sermon the call to repentance um and that's actually the title of of my scripture um in my in my bible it says call to repentance and i wanted to use that because here's here's where god has been with me this week god does not save us to a religion he saves us to a relationship Amen? Hang on. God saves us. Okay. (laughs) I love my son. I love him being in here, uh, but he can also be a distraction. (laughs) He's a daddy's boy. But God calls us to a religion, right? Uh, not a religion, a relationship, sorry. God calls us to a relationship. But so often, I think what has happened in our lives, in our church lives, in the American culture, in the culture in the Western church is this. We have been caught up into a religion that is Christianized, that is Christianity. And it is about the morals and, and the good things of Jesus. It's about... Yes, Jesus, but it's more about the rules and the regulations of religion than it is Jesus Christ. You say, John, why, 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 what does that have to do with this sermon? It has everything to do with it because this text is actually dealing with a religious group that was just flipped upside down by the sermon that Peter had just preached. He had radically 
changed or radically went against their understanding of what was going on and who the Messiah was supposed to be. Remember, they thought the Messiah was going to be one who, who come in and, and rode in um, and, and threw Rome out and, and set um, the Messiah back upon the throne of David, the literal throne of David in Jerusalem, and that the nation of Israel would be a great place again, that it would be one of those ruling places across the world again, that it would have its own um, autonomy, that it would be this great nation and what Peter has done is he has absolutely smashed that understanding of who the Messiah is. Not only had he smashed that idea, but he said you, the people that that are listening to my voice, you are the ones who put Jesus to death. You are the ones who cry to crucify him. You are the ones that put the Messiah to death. He had flipped their understanding of religion upside down and Judaism. You see, they had a misunderstanding of what their task had been. See, the task of the nation of Israel was the same task that the church has today. The task of the nation of Israel was to make the name of Yahweh famous to the nations, and in that, they were to be a place where people could come into for grace and mercy and peace. It is where God was at. He was with his people, the nation of Israel, from the moment that Abraham was was told, you are going to be the father of many nations, you are going to be the father of this, God was using the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, to make his name famous. The problem is they over and over and over missed that. They over and over and over added rules and regulations to the things that God had intended. We know that from the Pharisees. What did they do with the tithe? They, They took it and they made it a religious test, did they not? It was all about you had to give just the right amount of 10%. You you had to do this the right way. What did Jesus do in the New Testament? Jesus took that and threw it upside down. Oftentimes when he talked about that, the Pharisees says, you're giving of this, but where's your heart at? And Jesus then in the New Testament talked about sacrificial giving, that it was all about giving our all, not just a portion of what God had given us, but Because Christ had come, we now give our all to him. He has everything. He doesn't just have 10% of my wallet and my funds, but because Christ has redeemed me, he has all of my funds, all of my life, everything that exists within me. That was radically different. Now, I'm not here to talk about tithing this morning, but I think the New Testament understanding of giving is greater than the Old Testament. Because the New Testament giving is, is completely sacrificial giving. And, and let me say this about that. Religious people want to give the minimal portion of what they can to get by. Jesus people want to give everything for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel. And, and, and that sacrifice, because of what goes on in our lives, because we have made mistakes, may be 7%. But I want to tell you, if 7% is a full sacrifice for you at this moment, I think you're being faithful to what God wants you to be. You need to go above and beyond that 
as we get stewardship right in our lives, as we get things right in our lives. But if we give that faithfully, God is going to bless that. But I also think it is, is not right if we give 10% and 40% is a sacrifice for us. Because 10% then is the minimal and we're checking that off the list. And God requires us to give more than that. Matter of fact, if you begin to look at the Old Testament, this is, this is all side note stuff, by the way. If you, give, if you begin to add up the Old Testament offerings, it's actually 23.5% that was required to the temple, not just 10%. When you look to Malachi chapter 3, we, we take that and it says, give unto the storehouse. The church is not a storehouse. The church is a sending house. And say all that to say this is that religion says we do this with our money and with our lives. Jesus says, I have all of you. I want all of you. And because of that, you are going to the nations. And so Jesus, through Peter, in this sermon, in chapter 2, radically changed their understanding of what the Messiah was doing and who he was. And so then we come to our text this morning. And here's what our text says. And so we're going to start in verse 37 of chapter 2 and read through verse 41. And I don't do this all the time, but if you would stand in the honor of reading God's word, would you please do that? Here's what Peter writes, he said, or Luke writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness, forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call. With, with many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted this message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. Father, again, may, this be, may you be with us today. This is your word, and this is your place. This is your people. God, may you encourage and equip those who are followers of you, those who are not followers of you, may you redeem them this morning. And may we be about a relationship with Christ that drives us to sacrificial living for the sake of the gospel. For it's in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. And so this morning we're going to ask two questions of the text. Two particular questions as we walk through this text. The first question is this. What happens when the gospel is presented and the Holy Spirit moves? That's verse 37 of the text. The second question is, is the response of the gospel only an internal response or is there something even more than just an eternal, internal response to Jesus Christ? I'm going to make an argument that yes, there is more than just an internal response to Jesus Christ when we come to faith. It starts on the inside and works itself outside. There's a reason we sung the first song this morning called From the Inside Out. That's what the gospel does. It works itself from the inside out. And so here, here's the dangerous thing. If what we believe is not impacting the way we live, 
then what we believe is not really what we believe. It's just a religious knowledge. But let's ask the first point first. What happens when the gospel is presented and the Spirit moves? Look again back to verse 37 and see what, what Peter says, he said, or, or what is said from, um, from Peter's sermon, what Luke records. He says, When they heard this, they were pierced to the hearts and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter boldly, urgently presents the gospel to them. He had quoted Joel chapter 2 talking about the last days and would preach about this Messiah, Jesus Christ, who came, who died, and who is now alive and sitting at the right hand of the Father. And they're hearing this and they're, they're, they're understanding the Messiah again is, is, is thrown upside down. And all of a sudden they ask the question that, that, that their hearts have been pierced, what should we do then? If we have participated in the death of the Messiah and now we have a misunderstanding of who the Messiah is, how do we turn our lives around? It's the same kind of question that Isaiah writes about in Isaiah chapter 6 when he sees that, that God is on his throne after King Uzziah had died and he sees God holy and setting up there. He sees his sin and his people's sins for what they are. He falls before the throne of God and says, I am a man of unclean lips. I am unworthy to see this. What needs to happen? It's the Spirit of God then that begins to move. It's the Spirit of God that prompts these questions. It is God's Holy Spirit that prompts within us to go after Christ, to, to look to Jesus, to want to follow Him. What happens when the gospel is presented and the Spirit moves? People begin to ask this question, what do I need to do to follow after this man you call Jesus, this Messiah? What must I do to, to follow him? What must I do to come to faith in him? This is not a religious question. This is not a religious heart. There, there's a religious heart that we find in, in Mark chapter 10 and verse 21 and 22. In Mark chapter 10, we find the story of the rich young ruler. And we know that he comes to Jesus and, and he comes to Jesus wanting to, to make it to heaven. And he comes to Jesus saying, hey, Jesus, what do I need to do to get to heaven? And Jesus walks with him, talks with him there a little bit. And, and he says, I've done all those things. But he comes asking a religious question. And, and here's how we know that he asks a religious question. In verse 21 and 22, Jesus says this. He says, looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But he was dismayed by the, this demand. And he went away grieving because he had many possessions. When we come to Christ and the gospel and, and we are asked and we ask the question, what must I do to be saved? What must I do now? 
our response tells us whether we want religion or relationship. Our response to this gospel tells us this. They asked this question, what must we do? They don't ask that question based upon religion because at that point religion had been a burden and a slavery, slavery to them. They wanted freedom. That's why they wanted the Messiah to be this guy who threw out Rome, threw out these things. They were hoping that that would be the freedom that they needed. But what Peter brought to them is a freedom that is greater than a governmental system and it pierced them to the heart this week as I have prayed as I have thought as I have looked at this passage as I have went through this verse by verse phrase by phrase in my own life my own ministry my the ministry here at this campus my ministry over students and families i am continuing to ask myself this question are our people concerned about and am, am i concerned about religion being continued or am i concerned about the gospel of jesus christ piercing the hearts of people because when it becomes about religion i want things to fit in my nice little box I want church to look this way. I want things to happen this way. But when I see people who are all about Christ and a relationship with Christ, the, the way that, that we do church doesn't matter because it's about discipling Jesus, uh, people for the sake of, of salvation in Jesus Christ. Did that sentence make sense? It's about discipling people. David Beckner and I have this conversation often about what's the church really supposed to be doing. And you know, the church really has two, two priorities. Did you know that? One is, is worship. We gather together to worship. And the second is to make disciples of the nations. And in that, we serve people. Outside of that, everything else kind of flows out of that. But so often, we in the church... Uh, across my 25 years Katie and I talked about this the other day we, we have put these rules and regulations and these things into place and they hinder our ministry have you ever heard this statement if you want something to die in a church place it in the hands of a committee you ever heard that I've seen it in, in, in 20 years in being in ministry ideas from people go into a committee and guess what happens years later it's still in that committee not being done but you know what I have seen most in my life when people become disciples of Jesus Christ and God puts something on their heart and you know what they do they go to the leadership of the church and say, hey God's put this on my heart and the church leadership says this it's gospel centered it fits in what we want to do you run with it and we're going to help and support you and guess what happens ministries explode out of that discipleship explodes out of that let me give you an example ladies ministry here 
Amanda comes to me and says, I want to start this ladies' meeting. I want this to happen. Guess what's happened? It's exploded. It wasn't my idea. It was her idea. I've not had anything to do with it other than support on the back end and prayer. I don't have to be involved in everything. But because of that, we don't have a religious thing happening. We have a Christ-centered thing happening. Not only that, but listen to this. This Friday, if you didn't know this, this past Friday, there was an article in the Life page of uh, the Times News Times Paper, Times Free Press, on the Warriors for Christ, Carrie's Ministry, a great article on, on being Christ-centered and, and being an opportunity to gather together with people um, and, and to both be physically healthy and spiritually healthy. Carrie, a number of years ago when we first merged here, come to us and said, hey, I would love to do this. Are you good with this? We said yes, and guess what's happened? Because of that ministry, we have people coming here now. But more than that, the name of Jesus Christ is being scattered across our community and, and, and our region. It's not about a religious activity. It's about a relationship activity. And so what happens is when you and I, listen, what happens when you and I take this gospel that, that has transformed our hearts and we boldly stand before people just as Peter boldly stood before people, whether it's in personal conversation, whether it's in front of a group, what happens is when that happens, the Holy Spirit begins to move. People begin to ask questions, what can we do? What needs to be done? What did Billy Graham do for years? He stood before a group of people and did what? Called for repentance, didn't he? Called for a faith. Was Billy Graham about promoting a church? He was about promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Millions of people come to faith under Billy Graham, right? But how many of those millions of people did the church leave to the side? In the 70s, or the Jesus movement. Anybody in here impacted by the Jesus movement of the 70s? I didn't know. There are people, though, that, that have been. What happened in the 70s is tons of college students come to Christ through this Jesus movement, but they weren't discipled. And so now they're out of church. They're, they're walking around without a purpose. The purpose behind asking the question and what happens with the gospel is this. When we share the gospel and when Christ responds through his Holy Spirit, lives are changed for a relationship, not a religion. Aaron Armstrong says this. He says about the presentation of the gospel. He says, when, whenever any of us share the gospel in any form, whether we're preaching from a pulpit, having a conversation in a coffee shop, or writing a letter, an email, or a blog post, we, like Wakefield, can do so confidently because the Spirit is at work. Here's what he's saying. George Whitfield, a great preacher of yesteryear, preached with a confidence knowing that Christ was going to redeem people. And so you and I can go and have these gospel conversations and have these gospel things knowing that the Spirit of God is calling people unto Himself. And so that's what the gospel does. 
when we hear and when the Spirit's there. Here's the second question this morning. That's pretty clear, isn't it? We hear the gospel, there's a response. Either to receive or reject. Here's the second question that's impacted by the first question's answer. Is our response to the gospel only internal? Look at verse 38. I know that one of our small groups has been on this verse for a number of weeks. And I'm going to try, in the best I can, unpack verse 38 for just a few minutes and be done. In application of what happens when we hear the gospel. Verse 38 is application. Verse 38 and following is application of the heart of verse 37. We got to get 37 right to get 38 right. 37 is this. The gospel has to be proclaimed about a relationship, not a religion. And so here's what happens. Peter replied, "Repent and be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit." Let me read that again. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me read it one more time, and I want you to see something here, because this verse is one that is twisted by many people. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Is Peter saying here that you have to repent and to be physically baptized to be saved? No, he is not. There are denominations and groups that will say, that repentance, which is turning to Christ, and physical baptism are required for salvation and for the filling of the Holy Spirit. That is not what the text is saying at all. What Peter is saying is this. You have heard the message of Christ. You have heard the Messiah is one who has come to redeem you. And what you have to do is to repent. And what the word repent literally means is this. If I am walking this way, repentance is this. I turn 180 degrees the other way and I go that direction as fast and as hard as I can go. Repentance is that. Not admittance I can admit I've done something wrong but admitting doing something wrong and repenting of doing something wrong are two different things I'm going to make a statement here that I, I, I hope's not offensive but I have an issue with the ABC's of the gospel 
admit, believe, and confess. I can admit I have sinned, but not repent. I can believe that Jesus is Messiah, but not have faith in. And I confess that he's, he's God, but not truly live it out. That's not the way we turn to Christ. We repent of our sins and turn to Christ. Repentance means completely turning. And when I repent, I believe not only is Jesus a good man, but I believe he is the God-man who came to redeem humanity. It's not just a religion at that point. It is a the righteous man came to die for my unrighteousness. And so when I confess my sins and confess him as Christ, then my repentance changes. It's not about admittance. I can admit, admit all day I'm a sinner, and I do. I sinned probably this morning. No, I know I did. Repentance is salvation. So why is baptism tied to this? But why, why does he not say this? Why does he not say repent and the Holy Spirit will come and then all of a sudden be baptized? Why does he connect repentance and baptism together here then the coming of the Holy Spirit? I'm glad you asked that question. Here's the reason he, he asks that question or makes that statement that way. Because they were so tied to the Jewish religion. They were so tied to their understanding of who the Messiah was and Judaism that what Peter is saying here is there is no such thing as, as, as a closet Christian, closet follower of Christ. And so you're going to have to repent inwardly of, of everything that you've done, your sins and who you are as a sinner, and turn to Christ. And not only that, but we want to see the outward appearance of that, in, which is baptism. We want to see you come to, that you are truly saved, that you are truly a deemed person you are turning from judaism you're not closet christianity but you are fully committed to christ and in that we know that you have been transformed because how many of you have ever heard christianity is a personal kind of religion i just need it for myself and nobody else has to know that how many of you have heard that how many of us have practiced that I am a Christian on the inside, but I don't want anybody to know it. That is as anti-biblical as anything in the world. When Jesus Christ calls us unto himself, he calls for us to make the ultimate sacrifice. In Luke, we, we see that as the cost of discipleship. When we give our lives to Christ, that means our life is no longer our life, but our life is his life. And so what Jesus is saying through Peter here to the to these people is this you're going to receive Christ in repentance and in that we want to see the true faith in you it's not that baptism saves you but we want to see if there's is there true repentance of faith is there truly what's going on and the best way to illustrate that is is this if you're in an Islamic country today you come to faith in Jesus Christ if you publicly are baptized which you are called to do guess what happens you may die but you're going to be separated from your family you're going to be separated from everything that's because 
that is, you cannot become a Christian. You're a Muslim. That is wrong. But what happens, missionaries all across Africa, all across the Middle East, you know what they're doing? They're asking those who are Muslims to come to faith in Christ and to be baptized publicly. And you know what happens? They do that. Because when we really repent, listen to me, when we really repent, it changes the way we view everything. It changes how I view myself. It changes how I view my family. It changes how I view my church. It changes everything about me. And when I'm repentive and I walk in the gospel, because I know when that has happened, the Holy Spirit was, is within me, it changes everything. It changes how I view Tom and Mickey and Sherry and all of us. It makes me want to hopefully encourage them, not criticize them. Again, a side note here, but I think it's applicable to the text. I think we have a lot of religious people in our churches today because they're very critical about everything. Righteous, godly people look for the best in people for the sake of the gospel. Because it's easy to nitpick everybody, right? There is not a perfect person in this room. Give me five minutes and I'll prove it to you. Because I can start nitpicking on everybody. Last night, Mystery afternoon, our country lost an American hero in John McCain. Whether I agree with everything he said politically or not, he was a man who gave his life, willing to sacrifice his life for his country. In his last interview on 60 Minutes a year ago, one of his last statements of how he wanted to be remembered is he wanted to be remembered as a man who gave his life for his country. And he did. I thought often last night about John McCain. And in accordance to this morning, one of the things that McCain was known for is a man who went across what? Across the aisles, right? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to get political, but he was a man who had friends that, that were Republican and Democrat. He, he tried to look for the best in everyone possible. At times that caused Republicans to go against him, and other times it caused Democrats to go against him. Him and Ted Kennedy were very close friends. One of the things that I was reminded last night as I watched social media begin to talk about John McCain is I, I began to see people say that he was a man who cared more about others than he did himself. He, he lost a presidential election because he stood for what he thought was true. He, he lost many battles because he stood for what he thought was true. 
whether it, it was really true or not at that time, it doesn't matter. It's what mattered was in his heart. If we are Christians, if those of us who are in this room who are followers of Christ, if we are committed and repented of our sins and we have been baptized by the Holy Spirit and we have been transformed, should we not be concerned about others more than ourselves? Should we not be about going across the aisle, across the road, across the nations so that others may come to repentance and faith? Application of this text is this. When we trust in Jesus, it radically changes the way we think of things. Because look at verse 39 in conclusion, 39 and following. For the promise is for you and your children. Peter's saying this, the promise of the gospel, the promise of Jesus, is the promise that was made to Abraham, and it's for you, Israelites. This promise was for you, and for all who are afar off, all those who are distant from, from the gospel. As many as the Lord will call. And with many other words, he testified, he strongly urged them, saying, he strongly pushed them, he strongly talked about the gospel. And he says, be saved from this corrupt generation. Don't look to this generation. Don't look to Judaism. Don't look to these things, but look to Jesus. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. Here's the close, church. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, he says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in the view of the mercy of God, I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be concern, or concerned um, to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. When our lives have been transformed by the gospel, when we have repented and turned to Christ, when we are living out that gospel, guess what happens? Holiness begins to transform us. And when holiness transforms the inside, it transforms the outside. And so gossip turns to, guess what? Glorious talk about somebody. Immorality turns to, guess what? holiness guess what else happens when our selfish living becomes about selfless living and that's the transformation of the gospel and so it's easy i can sit and nitpick about every little sin that all of us are committing all of us including myself matter of fact if i unloaded my sins today to you that i just committed this week there would be absolutely no way anybody would want to listen to me but then again, if I begin to unload your sins, guess what? You wouldn't want to be here either because you wouldn't want them to be seen before people. But guess what? Jesus has covered my immorality and my life just like he's covered Isaac's immorality in his life and the things that goes on in his life. And so we take the gospel and we respond to it. And so I close with this, this, with this and, and ask for a response. When we trust Christ, when we repent, 
when we live the life of the gospel, God calls people through us. I am convinced, you could have asked me this months ago, maybe even years ago, do I believe that this kind of work can be done again? I'm not talking about massive revival. I mean, or like a Billy Graham kind of crusade. Yeah, 3,000 plus people at Billy Graham crusades come to faith, right? Because there were tens of thousands of people there. But this is not a crusade that Peter's preaching at. He's at the temple and he's preaching. And Pentecost falls. I am convinced to this day now, in my heart and in my life, that if an average person like Teresa Cruz, Gary Cruz, will boldly walk out and do what Jesus had Peter do, thousands will come to faith. And I just pointed them out because I love them and I know they're involved in ministry and I know they're out caring for people. But if, they, if John Truella does that, Next Tuesday night, when I'm with 55, 60 college students talking about worship, if I will call them to repentance and faith, God will do a mighty work at UTC. We want revival. Let's not be religious, let's be relational. I want to say this as a close. We've got to get these verses right because next week, if we don't get these verses right, next week there's no way we're going to get those verses right because next week calls us to a sacrifice that our culture does not want. And I'm going to give you a hint. You know what next week says? What's mine is Jamarian's because we're in community together. My needs are his needs, and his needs are my needs. So this morning, I pray that we would have a gospel movement among us and in us. It is not by accident that those are here today who are here. My prayer is that those aren't, that are not here, that are normally here, that we would take this message to them to help them become more Christ-like as well. So this morning, as we stand and we respond, do you need Jesus this morning? I'm not, I'm not talking about a religion. I'm talking about Jesus. Do you, you want real redemption, real freedom. Has religion, in, in, in my life, religion, and even in my Christianity, as I've came to faith in Christ, religion has often hindered me in everything I do. Again, this week, David Beckner and I talked. He grew up in the 70s, 60s and 70s at Highland Park and loves that place but he said fundamentalism 
has a hold on him that he's got to get rid of still to this day. Because it's about religion, not relationships. And Jesus is calling the nations to himself. So maybe God's put somebody on your heart and you say, I need, I need boldness to preach the gospel to you. Whatever it may be, may you respond. Father, this is, this is your sermon. This is your people. This is, this is all for you, God. This is nothing about me. And God, the minute it is about me is the minute it's, God, it's become religious. And God, I'm asking these, these people here, the people at White Oak, that you, as a whole, at Memorial Drive, that you just work in our lives. In Christ's name.